Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Well, we started this series on the church, and what well, we started at the beginning talking about the ch- church is not a cruise ship. I mean, people will think maybe they want a cruise ship, but uh, the church is not meant to be a cruise ship nor a battleship. It's an aircraft carrier, and we said from the beginning that the church was Jesus' idea, and it will long survive us. It'll be here for a long, long time because the church is the gathering. It's the ecclesia of gathering people of like-mindedness together set on one purpose. And we talked about then that first week, you can't build together unless you are together. And then last week, we had Cade. I don't know if you enjoyed it. I sure enjoyed it with Cade and his buddies there, uh, giving us an insight into life on an aircraft carrier, but how that ties in with the church as well. And we say we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers, because everyone's got a job on an aircraft carrier. And one of the things that was told to me early on, I don't know who told me it, but I've been saying it for a long, long, long time, that when God taps us on the shoulder and says, I have a critical role for you to build my church, it's not just the pastor's role, it's all of us. He's tapped, if you're a believer in Christ, he's tapped you on the shoulder. And he says, I have a critical role for you, and I've been preparing you from the beginning of time, gifting you for that role. And when we choose to sit back and not engage in that, then the church is disabled, the church is handicapped. Um, there was, I, again, I love history. One reason I watch a lot of YouTube is for history's sake. I love finding out things that I never knew about things and different stories that cross. And a story came across of, uh, it said a typo that cost $250 million. Well, I got to listen to this story. And it was a ship at night in September 2019, the Golden Ray, which is a huge cargo. It, it hauls cars around. That's literally 17 stories high. It's over two football fields long. Carries over 7,000 vehicles. Uh, set out from Texas in September 2019. And as it was going to Texas, it was bound for Georgia. And as it got close to Florida, Hurricane Dorian, Dorian was coming through. And so, like all big ships like this, they had to prepare itself for rougher seas. And so, they literally took on, what, 1,500 tons of water for ballast, which obviously that sinks the ship lower, center of gravity is different, and it will be able to sustain the seas. And so, after Dorian passed, but went around Florida, and was told they needed to stop off at Jacksonville first. But as they entered Jacksonville, they realized that the depth of the channel was different, and so they had to dump off the ballast to raise the ship. Ship goes in, does its business in Jacksonville, comes back out, and heads for a a port in Georgia. It comes into Georgia, a pilot jumps on the ship, and most ships, a pilot will jump on the ship from another boat, they'll guide it through the channel, get to the dock it's supposed to be, and there over 300 cars were unloaded, and over 400 cars were again loaded, and so there was a change of tonnage. And the pilot got back on the boat, and it's maneuvering back through the channel, and there's a series of turns, 
And with the turns, especially about that size, you turn right, then boat's going to lean a bit. But they have machines on board. They have computers to adjust. As a matter of fact, they have a computer on board that doesn't, doesn't give you permission to leave until all the figures are checked. It's called the IMAX, which stands for Integrated Monitoring Alarm Control System. And what that does, it checks all the tanks, the water, the ballast, the everything. And once it's all entered and checked, it gives you an OK sign that you can go. And it did, because it marks the center of gravity on the boat, depending on the ballast. And so the lower that number, the easier the ship is to handle, more buoyant it is. And so off they go. Pilot is maneuvering, comes to the third turn, which is like a 60-plus degree turn. And the boat started to lean. Now, what they had also done is that because after this turn, the pilot was supposed to get off the boat. And how that happens, there's, there's a small door around water line that opens up, and the boat comes alongside, pilot jumps on, and takes them back. They'd opened the door. And so as the boat began to shift, which was normal, I mean, this is a 68-degree turn. But the pilot said, wait, something's wrong, because it wasn't correcting itself. And all of a sudden, it started tilting even more to the point where the pilot decides to aim it out of the, the channel there toward the shore so it wouldn't clog up the channel. And by that time, it got to that watertight door that was open. And over it went. They're still taking this thing apart, by the way. Um, what they figured out after the computers and everything were pulled off is that the person making the calculations forgot to re-enter the ballast numbers. It was a simple decimal point. But a simple decimal point, a small little thing, lost a $62 million ship, $142 million in cargo, and it cost... 250 million just to get rid of it. Almost 500 million dollars for a little bitty mistake. A little thing can make a huge difference. And when you have a lack of unity, it can ruin an organization, it can destroy a team, it can ruin a family, and it can do it, destroy a church. Such a small world, word that has such a huge impact. And the scripture makes it really clear how important this small word is, unity within the body. I asked uh, Cade, because uh, I planned this series for quite a while, and so I asked Cade, so how do you maintain unity on a ship of over 5,000 people? Much of it was very interesting, as communication is key, is, you know, everyone needs to be a part of it. Uh, you have to realize the, the flow. You always have to communicate. One of the things that was interesting is that one of the biggest impacts on a ship is problems at home. And that's why there's a huge network, because if mama ain't happy back home, the person ain't happy on the ship, and they don't necessarily do their job as well. This is the main point I want us to work from, is that unity is a reality to be maintained and a goal to be attained. Unity is something that God's already given us. But it's also something that we have to strive for. 
Ephesians 4.3, we'll be looking at a lot of Ephesians where Paul was writing to a church. So it's, when we're talking unity here, even though it applies for the, the church worldwide from Lesotho to India to Nicaragua, he's zeroing in on the importance of this in the local church. Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Farther down, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the truth, faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In one sense, Christ has already established unity in the believers, but at the other sense, it's something that we have to shoot for, to go after, to protect, to make every effort for, to maintain. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this, but now in Christ, Jesus, you have, you who were once far away, that's you and me, have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one, unity. Because of Jesus Christ on the cross, his atonement, everything, he has made us one and has destroyed the barrier there used to be a barrier for that not to take place, but now that barrier is taken away, the dividing wall of hostility. That means he's, he's come in, he's made a sacrifice for sin, and now that sin has been taken away, now we can be one with Christ, which makes us one with each other. Verse 15 says, by abolishing in his flesh, the law, with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in that one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Because of the cross, because of that decisive moment of atonement and reconciliation, Christ has made us one with him and has made us one with each other. So he has already won that. He, that's already taken place. We are now one in Christ. That's where I, our identity lies. And that was the wish of Jesus. John 17, Jesus prays for us. I mean, he prays for his disciples in John 17. And he kind of prays for just about all other things. And then he focuses on us, we who would come after the fact. John 17, verse 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me, that's us, through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, he's speaking universally. He's not focused on just one local church. He's focused that anyone across the world from Lesotho, Nicaragua, India, wherever the, the church is being represented, it's all over the world because of Christ's power, because of what I've done. I have reconciled man unto myself. I've made them one and now since that oneness has been secured, may they, and I love the word may they, it's not a guarantee. That part is left to us. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Because the world's watching. 
I still remember because when Peter was here and, 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 and Chad and I was speaking to a, at a church um, a week and a half ago, a bunch of pastors who were looking at doing The Chosen. And so I was able to go through our history because there was a time when, you know, we had 12 churches all gather with World Vision. Some of you remember that, being at Galt High School gym. That was an unheard of event. 12 pastors canceling their Sunday morning service, all gathering together as one. People showed up to that because they couldn't believe all the churches were going to come together. Wow, why would they think that? Because churches have a tendency to think they're better than everybody else. Their line is going to be closer to God in heaven. All of them will be. But what I love about that, I have given them the glory that you gave me. I have given them everything they need to, to attain to this unity. Second Peter, Peter says this, 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us what? Everything we need. Our life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. He has already secured the unity and he has given us everything we need to attain to unity but it's still up to us that they may be brought. It's not a given. And even that thought when I was just thinking about may be brought, because to bring something to someone that takes effort and takes time, it's not like that. It takes work. Because one person can have unity with themselves really easy, but you throw two or three or four in the mix, then what happens? Unity matters to God. There's a Psalm 133. I love this Psalm. It's the only one I can say in Hebrew. I'm not going to try that here, but because uh, Jared's watching right now and, oh, you pronounced that wrong and everything. No. But it says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. How good, delightful, joyful it is when you guys actually get along and pleasant. And I love this word pleasant because not only is it like physical beauty between like two lovers, it's like, I'll put it in context, it's like when you're cooking bacon in the morning <laughs> and you take that first bite and you just say, is there anything better than this ever? I mean, I, I think I do that every single time. I take a bite and thank you, God, I'm not Jewish. Um, <laughs> Nothing against the Jews. I just, I just, I can't eat it. So, um, that feeling, that <sighs> is what God wants between us, and it's what God loves to see, because unity matters to God. Now. When it says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, he, he does not mean cookie cutter. That we all look the same. We talked about that last week. Remember the, all the different colored shirts? Everyone's got a different job. We all look different. You only want one of you and we only want one of me. All right? God uses the spectrum of everything to create us. He was not meant to cookie cutter us. But the big push today, who knows, I may get cut off. Big push today is diversity. We need to have diversity in the church. Well, let me say something, guys. 
there's already diversity in the church because he gifted everybody with different gifts and different things to do. That's the diversity. It's not talking about uh, that we need this and we need this representation in culture and this representation in culture. That's not what it's about. I wrote this down, whether I get in trouble for it. The church is not to represent everyone. It is to represent Jesus who confirms and tra- conforms and transforms us like him, not like the world. My identity is not based on where I was raised, the color of my skin, what happened, sex I have, or whatever. It is not based on that. My identity is based in Jesus Christ and him alone. That's why Galatians says, there's no... There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. That's what makes us diverse. We're one in Christ with many parts. We represent all parts of the body, all functioning together as one. That's where our diversity is going to lie. It's not going to be lying on what culture says diversity is. You can mail those to Tim at horizonweb.org if you have a trouble with that. Because even though it says, you know, we always say, well, God loves and God is love, and, which he is. God also hates guys. He does. Proverbs 6 gives you a list. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that is detestable to him. Haunty eyes, which means just proud it up. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and what? A man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. God hates it. Matter of fact, it's detestable to him when someone tries to cause disunity. Unity is important important to God. He loves it. It's like bacon cooking in the morning. But it's still up to us. Unity is a reality to maintain because of what Christ did on the cross. But it's a goal to aim for. Because that unity, as we're talking, creates that belief. People are looking like, guys, if you guys can't get along and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then why would I want to be a part of you? I mean, if there's infighting and boom, 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 and there's, guys, there's a lot of reasons, which we'll talk about in a second, there's reasons that things need to be discussed and dealt with, but when you're just shaking it up to shake it up, that's not something that God desires. I love this quote, the continuous and widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of the ages. It has been Satan's master strategy. The sin of disunity probably has caused more souls to be lost than all other sins combined. When you think of the COVID pandemic and what's that done within the body of the church? Because you had the well, I'm going to mask. I'm not going to mask. Hey, we got to follow the government. I'm not telling, doing what the government says. And everything in between. If there, I mean, in my years of watching things, this has been the most divisive within the church since I've been a part. I mean, there are other things I can mention that it's created stirs, but not like this one. 
Not like this one. That's why unity demands protection. Ephesians 4, 3 again. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Nor does it say to build unity, because technically it's already there because of our oneness in Christ. But we are to protect it. And I love this quote, I don't know who said it, but you don't need to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand. I'm thinking somebody in a marriage said that. Uh, Is that right? You don't need to see eye to eye. All right, married people. Do you see eye to eye on everything? Gwen and I do. We have the perfect marriage. That's a Kevin at HorizonWeb.org. Isn't that one of the things God hates? Lying tongue? Nah. Guys, we're, we're two different people. That's the, that's the uniqueness of marriage to become one. But she has a view of things. I have a view of things. And, and compromise is a good word in marriage. Yes? Is that a name that? But compromise on the truth is not. I mean, how do you make every effort in unity? I wrote down some questions. Does that mean we compromise our convictions? No. Does that mean we abandon the truth we cherish? No. We don't pursue unity simply for the sake of unity. It is Christ and his truth that unites us. Remember, it's back to that bond of peace that is established because what happened to Christ on the cross and the truth of who Jesus is, I cannot compromise that just in order to maintain unity. Unity that does not regard the truth we know in Jesus Christ is not unity worth cherishing. And sometimes, sometimes, leadership must sacrifice unity for the sake of truth. Because I want people to get along. Can't we all just get along? I, I, want, I desire that. But that's not always going to happen. And if it's stuff which there have been silly arguments within churches. I haven't seen that here necessarily. I'm sure some of the people, why did we paint the church that color? And why, What's this river doing through the, you know. I'm sure there, I haven't heard any of it, so that's good. You've kept it to yourself, all right? Um, but I know churches that have split over sillier things. Some of you have been a part of churches that have done that. I was part of a church, you know, when I was just a college college guy, freshly married, they were splitting because we had it, we were blessed with a brand new building, debt-free, and since it's a new building, it was time to get a new pastor, this group of people. That's why I'm never going to build a new building, so... Uh, <laughs> We'll just keep buying old ones, you know, <laughs> refurbishing them. No, I just, but that was the move. And I, I, as this, I was still in the seminary trying to grapple with this going, what? But man, was that group on a warpath. I mean, that's part, after that experience, I'm never going to be a pastor. Don't want to be one. Don't want to be a part of that. Don't want to do that because I've seen the, the bad parts of it. And there are times, we won't go into it, it's in your notes of scripture to look at, when 
Scripture tells us to pull away from such divisive people. People who are set on their own agendas. Because ultimately what unity is supposed to do is bring glory to God. Romans 15, five through six. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The bottom line is God's glory. Unity has been handed to us because of what Christ did on the cross. And when we grow in maturity to truly understand the ramifications of that in our life, then that helps us grow in unity with each other and why we should protect it. Not at all costs, though. Again, I'm not going to compromise the truth just so someone's happy. Not going to happen. But there are some things Scripture tells us, and, and Paul in Ephesians tells us, these are some things that you need to have to attain. Ephesians 4, 2 through 5. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. In that verse 2, he lists four things. Be completely humble. And humility is having a proper view of oneself. Now, a quick way to get a proper view of oneself is to compare yourself to God and you will shrink quickly. But we do a good job trying to compare ourselves to other people. If anything, if the gym has taught me anything, is that I can go to the gym and I can lift heavier than some people, but there's always someone stronger than me. Always who can push it far, lift more. There's always someone better than you. And so humility is having a right perspective. Now, it doesn't mean wallow in the mud, I'm nothing, I'm garbage, I'm, because you've been one in Christ. You're, you're a creature that God has called and saved and tapped you on the shoulder to help him build his church and uniquely, don't get in this wallow, I'm nothing, I'm this, I'm that. That's a Satan lie there. That's not Humility. That's almost pride in reverse because it's almost demanding us come along. No, you're good. Oh, no, I, I mean, it really is. So, you know, it's good. I need, I need, give me, give me, give me. It's, it, it's a, it, you know, you can be so humble you're prideful. <laughs> Think about it. But humility begins with a proper view of yourself. Gentle. Now, this is gentle, sometimes meek, and sometimes we see that, oh, he's just so meek that he's a pushover. You'll get your way with him. That's not what it means. I love this one statement of this. Gentle means it's the man who is meek or gentle is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. I like that one. Because there's a time to get mad. There is a time to be in your anger. What? Do not sin. So it doesn't say you can't be mad. It doesn't say you can't be angry. 
It's how you're angry. And it's when you need to engage. Some of your switch is like, click, boom, you're there. There's no buildup. There's no long views, all right? Some of you, bam, all right, just ease off a bit. It's not being gentle. I'm not saying you don't get there, but you don't get there in a second. But if I want to maintain unity, then I need to be gentle. I need to convey that, even though if you're a big, scary person or your personality. I mean, I've had many tell me, people tell me, I don't understand. Tim, you are a scary individual. Or one person, you're the scariest person I've ever met. And then in this, almost in the same breath, but then I saw your artwork and then I saw the sensitive side. And <laughs> What? I mean, <laughs> sometimes our personality can present that, but can you still be, have that gentle spirit? Patient. Patience is that you're going to persist to the end. You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to ride this out as far as you can. And that's tough sometimes. Bearing one another's burdens in love. This is the decision, agape love, to seek the highest good of others over yourself, which is really hard. We have no problem with the Bible says, you know, you can only love others as much as you love yourself. I think we got that one down pretty good. But to love others in that context? It's not dependent on what they do. It's dependent on the decision I have to choose to love them. Now, are some people just unlovable? Don't point. No elbows. We know some people like that. Lord, this is a test. I know it. And it might be you that someone else is saying that about. But that's why after those things, make every effort. I like it says make every effort because you will always win. It doesn't say that. I wish that were true. Make every effort. Make sure you've done everything you can do until you're done. It still may not work out. It still may not be what you desired in the, in the long run. But I think part of the make every effort that you can rest inside yourself, Lord, I, I did everything I know I could. And it still wasn't maintained. War was still declared. Divorce still took place. Kids still won't talk. Make every effort. Because the unity is reality. What Christ did on the cross, he made me one with him. He, he took the barrier away. He made me one with him. And at the same time, because of what Christ did on the cross, and because I'm one with him, but he did that the same with you, and you believed, and now you're one with him. Now he's saying, now you guys, you are one. You're the church. You're the body of Christ. Work at getting along. Guys, I'm not saying this because something's happening. Please, there's something going on in the church. That I don't... Guys, I've had this series planned for over a year and a half. It just, much like the people run around the deck and why I had to ask Kate, how do you maintain unity with 5,000 people? How do you maintain unity with five? It takes effort. 
Let's take you considering yourself less than someone else. Now, make every effort. It's not always going to work. There are times you've done everything you can to try to attain to it. But it takes two to tango. I can't control the other person. Although I wish I could. Not going to happen. And I can't say God changed their mind. And I, I love that. God changed their mind. It's not that God can. It's not that God hasn't in history changed, forced a change on someone else's mind. But for the most part, God doesn't do that. God has kind of left us up to our own demise. That we, we kind of got ourselves in this situation. And the farther we get into it, the harder it's going to get out. And that's why some, you know, the old adage, you got to hit rock bottom. That's why my mom's favorite passage was the story of the prodigal son where it says, and when he finally came to his senses. Put that in a song that, you know, it's, it's not a two by four across Stevenson's head. It's a six by six that it takes to get our attention. That sometimes you have to hit the bottom before you can ever see. Or as one person said, just stop digging. How about that? Stop digging the hole. But some people don't. My job is to love on them. My job is to do everything I can to attain to that which was already one for me. Unity is a small word that makes all the difference in the world. So let us work at unity. That might be applying to you, to your family, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's with a friendship, maybe it's with your business, whether it's sports team, be a lot of different things. You come above the fray. You be the person that goes the longest. You, you, you're the one who's humble. You're the one who's gentle. You're the one who's patient. You're the one who's extending agape love, which Christ extended to each one of us. Small word makes a huge difference. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for small words like this, but how important. Your desire is that we would have the same unity that you have in heaven between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you've given us everything we need to do it. It's all at our fingertips. We just got to do it. May we realize that unity is a priority. May we maintain that. Do everything we can. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.